listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and today I've got Terrence Doyle and Ben Davis back in the office to talk about a 40-unit multifamily building they're taking down here in Denver. Gentlemen, good to have you back. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, correction, we actually took it down two weeks ago. Oh. Acquired right. two weeks ago. What did I say? About to take down. Oh. Past tense. All right. Yeah. We did Good it. Good to know. We did it. Yeah. All right. So it's already it's taken It's been down. taken. Okay. It's been taken, yeah. All right, Ben. Yeah, what else did I say correctly? In the present tense, <laughs> I'm glad to be here presently. All right. So we are in a tight timeline while we're recording this. We got some meetings after this. So let's jump into it. Uh, give me the overview of the property and how you guys took it down. Very interesting scenario. This deal moved very quickly. Typically in Denver in the past couple years, it takes six to 10 months to get a deal done in our space. Value add, motivated seller. There's a lot of moving parts with debt and you know underwriting the leases and getting the lender down and getting the, the seller to the price that we need it. This deal moved really quickly. So I walked the building probably the last week of August she was asking five and a half million or something ridiculous. And then a few weeks later, they actually lost their VA certification. So they had half the building was filled with uh, veterans. Okay. And they're on subsidized leases paid for by the government. They had failed three or four inspections. I didn't totally Are these get like the whole health story. and safety inspections? Oh yeah, health and safety. Just because of how poor of condition the building was in, some of the boilers didn't work. I mean, it was really, really bad. And so she lost that immediately. Half the building was vacant. Just because all those VA tenants moved out. That's right. The VA moved out a lot of them. There's still some left in there, but moved out a, a lot of them. So then I get a phone call probably the second, third week of September, something like that. And she was at 5 million. So she had dropped at 10%. And this is not on the market. Just called a broker that she was really close with. This is an, a seasoned vet. So she's owned hundreds and hundreds of units maybe thousands in Denver. She's been at the, she's a broker herself and a property manager, had owned it for 30 years, had a partner in LA that supposedly was really motivated to sell, wanted a quick sell, needed some liquidity okay. for some other stuff he had going on. And then she had some health stuff going on. So you had three parallel tracks of everyone was motivated where you had the 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 building being half half vacant. She's going through some health stuff. Some other guy is really motivated by Cat needing cash. So she dropped at 10%. And so we put it on our contract at right around 5 million bucks. Then we went through and did our inspection. Sorry, I made the time. So this was mid-September. Mid-September. Okay. Yeah, Mid-September. And we ended up closing the, what? the We were supposed to close the last week of October, but because of some stuff that they had with the VA, we ended up closing the first week of November. So that's what, a, a six-week, six seven-week contract? Yeah, six weeks, yeah. That's right. very quick. quick for, pretty quick yeah. for, yeah, for 5 million bucks, yeah. So... Then we did our inspection and basically found out that like everything needed to be redone. So the boiler, the roof, the decking on the roof, the windows, the plumbing, the electrical. I mean, this place was drug infested, bed bug infested. I mean, it had everything. It was in really, really bad shape. So we basically had a call with the broker and said, look, this is definitely a deal. It's up our alley. The seller's really motivated. The property's in really bad condition. There's a ton of vacancy. I mean, it fits, checks all the boxes for a deal that, you know, that, that we would do. But this price, I mean, we need 
honestly, we need like seven or $800,000 off and I don't want to hurt your relationship with the seller. He was really close with the seller. And so we should just, let's just terminate. And he was like, well, why don't we submit something and let's see wh- well, th- where where they're at. So we submitted originally like a $900,000 concession based on the inspection, 900000 which wow. I've never submitted anything even close to that. He almost broke the seven-figure mark and on su- that. Wow. Surpri- yeah, that was wild. And surprisingly, they were actually pretty receptive to it. I mean, obviously, they were upset, but they they communicated they wanted to keep the deal together. He basically sent them two, two, two documents. One is a termination, and the other one is, hey, here's the $900,000, you know, uh, Inspection objection. You know what do you guys want to do? So sign the termination or sign exactly. the objection. That was the that okay. was the way we we approached it, and I think that that was really smart on his part. Like, hey, we understand that this is a big pill to swallow, and it may not make sense. We also submitted it with the full inspection report along with the bids, so that the, she could see that we're not making any of this up. And she had the numbers to call our contractors to see, hey, the roof is going to be a hundred, the boiler is going to be one hundred and fifty, the electrical is this. You know all of these items that needed to be that needed to be corrected. So that made it a little bit more digestible, apparently, from their standpoint. And the long and short of it is, they ended up agreeing to a six hundred thousand dollar price reduction, which got us to pretty close to four point four million, four point four five to be exact. And that was a number that was basically at the highest end of where we thought we could we could make it work. And so yeah, that ended up we were able to you know we basically our earnest money went non refundable at that point. And then we, you know, had to get the rest of the appraisal done and the lending and all and all of those items. And then they had to get some things worked out with the VA, some of the tenants that they had agreed to with the VA to help them move because of the conditions of the property. So we needed that done before we closed. So I know, um, I, think, I think two episodes ago, um, you talked about a property that you did through HUD. That's right. Which is that government agency, which obviously that was a, a lot of paperwork and lawyers and due diligence involved. Right. Since this was VA, did you have nearly that much amount of headache or because the VA terminated that to kind of like make it more of a normal process? So every tenant has their own advocate with the VA, their caseworker. Okay. And so it depends on the caseworker and how, you know, their the condition and what the, you know, some of the tenants have health conditions and it was more serious for than others to get out. Other ones have maybe disabilities and they need, you know, so every, every tenant from the VA, every client of the VA has a different situation and, and a caseworker that represents them. So it definitely wasn't even close to what we went through with HUD, but there were still some issues and boxes that need to be checked based on the way the lease was signed and, and the tenant's situation. All right now, what was the condition of the property? Because I, I've we've had a few conversations right. just in passing on here, and this sounds like it's in the subpar condition. You and I have walked a bunch of our buildings that we've done and yeah. seen it. I mean, this is up there with one of the worst. It's larger, right? So I think that's what made it scarier for most people. And actually, so it. this is a, four, a 40 unit. 40 units. And what's the unit mix like? 34 ones. Right. Four, four studios. studios. And two twos. Two twos, yeah. Okay. Two twos. So it's primarily one. So it's three 12 unit buildings of 11 one bedrooms. They're 780 square feet. So they're large, they're oversized ones, the exact same layout. And the studio, the three studios, so one in each building is in the exact same place, same layout as well. And those studios are 650 square feet. So what we liked about it was there's several things that made a lot of sense. There's a brand new housing development that got built by Brookfield three blocks away. And it's three or four hundred lots, and it got built started in 2016. The the they sold out the last phase of it in 2018, and across the street 
they put a brewery, a bar, and a coffee shop along with a new townhome development that's currently getting in the last phase. So you have some brand new product. The price points are between five hundred and nine hundred thousand dollars. So brand new for product single family for single family, three blocks away, and then you come around the corner, and there's this dilapidated apartment building in this residential neighborhood. So there's not a lot of other rental stuff around. There's some condos, but this would be, you know, it's the only apartment building within like eight blocks. And part of the due diligence was, you know, the the closest apartment building was a two hundred unit building that was on Pecos. We went into that building, got to walk a couple of the units. There was out of the 200 units, there's two vacancies. Mm. So that was a really good sign to us that in that area, there is a strong demand. There's not a lot of supply. So that was one of the deciding factors when we were going back and forth with the seller of, you know, on the, on the concessions and the price reduction, you know, we were, it, it made sense for us based on the location, the new build, the people are moving there and there's really good job creation around there. There's a bunch of, you know, restaurants, bars, gyms. I think there's a Walmart close by, a Target close by. So there's some things in the area that made sense. And then and the the brewery and some other stuff that I think are going to be attractive for the new tenant class that we that we put into the building. And what neighborhood or like what are the major cross streets nearby? 69th and Pecos. So okay. it's called Twin Lakes. <laughs> yep. It's in North Denver. Not an area that I'm particularly familiar with. The more we dug into it, the more we thought it was interesting. I think the biggest key was just the supply and demand. There's there seems to be really good demand there and not a lot of supply. And we think when we bring this building out, it'll be the nicest product for an apartment building within a one mile radius. And it'll be priced under what that other building is. That's a 200 unit. So high level, this is kind of like your standard value add play. Just go in there, um, update the whole property, update the units, bring them to market rent and then sell it a couple years down the road. Is that absolutely the, okay. Yeah, so it fit right down the middle of the fairway for us of deep value add play where we could completely renovate and redo every part of this. So the hallways are going to be brand new, the units, the roof, I mean the, you know, a ton of capex as well as cosmetic stuff and we'll be able to retenant the entire building at one time. So Ben, I know you, you know, you're you you do the finances. So we got the the visual description of the property, which sounds like it's needs some love. What were the numbers like on on the takedown and what's the the financial model for everything from the takedown to rehab to the exit? Yeah, sure. So like Terrence mentioned, that we finally settled on 4.45. So it was uh you know, from our standpoint, that was a big win. We we were ready to walk more or less as far as price. One of the one great exercise for our team and you know, underwriting the lease up phase on this deal was uniquely challenging because like you said, there's not another apartment building for eight blocks. And so our standard procedure for a rent study, um, you know, there was a ton of holes. It's just too far, you know, to say, well, well, someone pays this price for a one, one and it's two and a half miles away. That can be totally irrelevant. If you cross from Rhino over to, especially in that part of town, there's exactly, that doesn't mean anything. So we had to look at a lot of, you know, median income, you know, what percent of people that work here, you know, what do they invest into their, you know, housing situation? Um, you know, look at these condos, even though that's a different product. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a real challenge and we ended up being, you know, very conservative as far as the rents we were going to put in um, after stabilization or the rents that we anticipate after stabilization. And at the end of the day... What we, one thing that's unique to this model is we 
we underwrote a per unit sales price, uh, a per unit disposition price, vice and NOI, and then we try to kind of match the two up, meaning, okay, we're more confident that this building will trade at a per door price than the typical cap rate NOI equation. And then from there, you can say, okay, well, if we... If Sorry, what, why Why do you think that? Like, what was the, the reasoning behind well, that? Well, you can arrive at rents. If you're confident in the disposition per, per door cost, so let's say you just multiply, we thought this will easily trade for 170 a door, 170,000 a door. Multiply that by the units. Generally, I'm, I'm skipping a few steps. Yeah. And you get $7 million. And you say, okay, well, what type, what rents at a six and a quarter cap would also give me $7 million? Okay, those are the rents. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's just solving for X on the other side of the equation. Okay. And you, and so that's, you know, that was unique to this deal. We knew more about what, it, what the per door disposition price would be than, you know, speculating what people would pay for rents. It's really because the rents were so unproven. Right, right, because okay. we're talking about a 40-unit building, and it's the only one. It's only mid-size apartment building within like a mile, mile and a half. Really? So there's not a lot of great comps. Yeah, so that was one of the... So it's a plus and a minus. So for doing your due diligence, it wasn't great. But then on the sales side, we think it's going to end up helping us. And on the lease-up side, because there's not a lot of C product that's been renovated. There's none, really. There's one larger building that has some amenities, but that's not really a true comp. So when you look at comps in that area within two miles, you know, everything especially renovated. And there was one that recently traded at 180 a door. That was some ones and twos. And and if you look at anything, as you know, the Denver market, most things renovated in Denver are trading between, you know, that has a mix of ones and twos, especially the size is trading between 170 and 200 a door. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're buying this at a basis of 111. So naturally we, you know, even though the rents we were unsure of, we were pretty sure that, and this is our full-time job, you know, so we know what multifamily is trading at, and we were pretty confident in what the back end is. We just weren't totally sure on the rents. One, because we haven't done anything in that area, and the other, number two is, there's not a lot of B-minus product that's been renovated and turned in that area. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, there was a few, there was a few late evening phone calls between Terrence and I saying, something's not adding up. We're buying it at 111. We know it'll trade 165, 170, you know, but the, what, you know, where are these rents? You know, something's in the model is to, you know, you know, there's a deal, basically napkin math, and you just have to, you can kind of derive the rents by um, working backwards. Okay. That's what I was kind of trying to explain. So yeah, that, that makes sense. That's just part of the, the detective yeah, work. You have yeah. To do, and then, right. you know, basic economic, you know, high school economics, let the less, um, supply of the product should be good for the for the asset. Now, can you model that in a spreadsheet though? Because like I like from a, a fundamental standpoint, I agree. It can be a little scary looking at, but then how do you model that? That's a good question. I'll no, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll put a <laughs> I'll put some deep thought into yeah. that. You know, I guess you could correlate. Um, you know, you could assume people don't like long commutes. So if you found densities of employment. And a lack of multifamily, you could probably come up with some kind of, uh, you know, the close, formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Dude, a good question. I love how your brain works because that is that that yeah. is really interesting. The big key, 
on the underwriting was you can only we we can make some assumptions and at some point you have to say because of supply and demand and because of Denver and migration and that there is a shortage of affordable housing, you know, we were able to put in some rents there that we felt pretty comfortable with that are still appropriately conservative and that helped us arrive to hey, this is still gonna, you know, that helped us match the one seventy a door back end price with the cap rate. Right. Can you walk us through some numbers? Sure. So like, may I ask you this way, when you, when you bought it, what were the the rents, vacancy, expenses? Like, I'm assuming it's a pretty pretty low NOI yeah. if it's... Oh, yeah, I love looking at it. Yeah, the so average rents were... rents as high as 1065 in the twos, and then, you know, as low as 750 and then a lot of incomplete payment, non-payment. Like he said, the VA tenants had moved out. So it wasn't like, you know, add the units and divide by the total. And so what we do is, is what's, you know, we just use some product... Same as a blended average, and that was seven sixty five a door, so really low. Was that including the vacant ones, or those are just the paying? Ones? No, that would be if you blended the, if the paying tenants were to fill all the units and pay consistent with the existing. That's what the average rent would come out to be. Wow, that is low. Yeah. And what was the vacancy when you when you bought this? Fifty or a little less. It was over a little over fifty percent when we when we closed. Okay. A little over fifty yeah. percent. There was eighteen. There was eighteen tenants in there when we closed. Twenty-two vacant. So I want to. I want to jump a little bit because just talking about how the way you kind of you did some of the you know backwards math to figure this out. When it came to the financing component, did that cause any issues with the lending? Well, this uh, this was a, a new lender who um, I wouldn't say specializes in this type of project, but he understands it. And the way this company works is, is that he's a debt broker, and he's sorry. Is a debt broker different than a commercial, like a, a yeah, typical a debt broker like um, lender? A debt broker is someone who takes the client, says, "Okay, I hear the loan that you that you're requesting. I see all. I have everything I need to know. I trust you. I've underwritten you." And then he takes the package and he presents it to maybe. 35 credit unions, 12 credit unions, two credit unions, 10 banks. He Maybe he puts it on Wall Street. I mean, it, there's no, you know, in private equity that could be, they could shop it to Goldman Sachs. And, so and they're, they're, they're shopping around to local banks plus Wall yeah, Street. Yeah, so he's not equity. the one, He's he isn't the bank that holds the cash. Yeah. He's, he has, he has a relationship with banks. Yeah. And they're kind of to, oversimplifying it, but they're saying, hey, if you guys... We're underwriting you, and you're guaranteeing the cash. So you come present a, a, a loan to us. We'll fund it. And if, if the person defaults, we're going after the brokerage firm, and then the brokerage firm would come. Is So there's a middleman between the bank and us. Oh, He's okay. brokering debt from multiple avenues into to us. The bank's actually out of Kansas City. It's like hmm. a farming bank out of Kansas that he was... But he's he's been ultra successful as a as a debt broker, mortgage broker... And the commercial space, done a bunch of different things. So we actually get a really favorable loan for the project. And he was able to look at, you know, basically my balance sheet, track record, and look at the project and what we were going to do with it, and was able to give us a construction loan to stabilize the project. So we ended up getting 80% of total cost. Wow. 80% of total cost, which would be unheard of for a Denver bank to do. But because of his relationships and his track record with these smaller regional banks, he was able to get us a really favorable loan despite the risk and the vacancy. 
which you know, especially during a pandemic, during COVID too, yeah, like, yeah, and like banks are not, yeah, they would not even like first bank wouldn't even touch this, you know, and a local bank wouldn't have touched it. So it was awesome. I mean, that was a huge, that was a huge value add from, from his standpoint of being able to put us into this kind of loan that was, and we only pay interest on the debt that we use from the line of credit for construction. So you got, so, so to understand that, so you got your, your loan to take down the property That's and you right. also got a line of credit for the construction That's right. Cost. And it was three and a half percent. So let's talk about, so can we talk about those terms, some like just yeah, down sure. payment terms, right. prepayment? Yeah, so typical, so typical deal, syndication deal that we do, you know, we get a loan to value uh, seven, 60 to 75, 80 from the bank. And then we use equity for the delta between the 75 LTV and the total acquisition cost. And then we also raise equity to fund construction operating expenses. So in this case, which is, it really was uh, coincidental timing. We were kind of trying to build a relationship with this broker without a deal really in mind. We were just kind of saying, hey, this is our track record. This is the kind of deals we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we think you'd be a great candidate. We're doing that all the time. Almost every day, I'm, I'm trying to move that ball forward. And then this deal that had a huge construction, um, you know, a huge renovation budget, by percentage uh, came along and it was the first one we sent to him and it was a, it was a great fit. The reason that's um, the reason that's so significant, Chris is because if we borrowed the construction funds at three and a quarter, excuse me. Yeah. Three and a quarter. And the alternative to that would be to, you know, to raise it from our limited partners at a minimum of an eight pref. So we're, we're saving, uh, 475 basis points on the construction cost. So a lot cheaper. Yeah, and, and that yeah, that obviously benefits us, but it, that trickles down to the limited partners also. Yeah. Because um you know the fi- the debt cost or the you know the interest payment is much lower to the project as a whole. So everyone everyone wins. Okay. So let me uh, and I'm sorry I know I'm jumping around here but like this no oh. sorry I keep I keep uh, going on tangents no this is good questions. yeah yep okay so it it, it was eighty percent loan to cost but okay. really when you get into the documents what that was was eighty percent of the purchase price we'll call that the A note and then the B note was an eighty a line of credit for eighty percent of the renovation budget and so you know packaged together you know that 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 is eighty percent of the total cost but it was really two loans. So we raised uh, the rest of the money, you know, on top of, you know, 20%. And that total came to uh, 1.35 million. Okay. And so you raised about 1.35 uh, from your limited partners. That's right. To fund the 20% Which, down. Yeah. And what's to. interesting about that is it's a larger deal than we've done, a 40 unit deal. The purchase, you know, the total cost is going to be somewhere around 5.6, 5.7. So typically in a deal like that, we would have raised two and a half million dollars. But what's nice about getting the construction loan is we had to raise less money, which is going to juice the return for all the investors. That's right. Which is going to be massive. Yeah. That. So that was a huge, especially during the pandemic, as you've you know you've seen debt. What's going on right now? I mean, no one's touching eighty percent on anything, much less on a property that's half vacant. Yeah. So it was huge. It was a huge win to get that financing. It really made the project pencil out. Great for for our partners, and we ended up only bringing in, what, five LPs on this one? Mm-hmm. So it was just a small group of people that we had had a relationship with and a bunch of, you know, that had done transactions with in the past, kept it really small. It was such a short window to raise the money and to execute 
to close because of the situation of the seller being so motivated. So it was one of those deals where we just put it out to a small group of people that we already had a relationship with because of the time was a big factor uh, in closing. So from like a high level, um, Ben, since you're able to fund the construction through the, the loan, like from a high level, like how much higher return do you expect that to give give to the investors? Because I mean, you're just getting more leverage. Right. And when, th- when it works in your favor, more leverage is good. Right. From a high level. So it should increase return. Is that like a, yeah, so to f- a half a multiple or two multiple? Well, to solve that, um, the so you would take the difference between what we what is provided by the lender and what we would have taken from the limited partners and then, you know, apply 8% vice um, three and a quarter. And so, and then subtract those two numbers, that would be your savings. So basically, what did you not pay the limited partners in interest because you got to pay the the line of credit debt at okay. three and a quarter? And then you would um, add that, you know, you would spread that total across 24 months, which is the project length on the uh, debt payment line and then look at the return and then you would you would know how much which i could i could work that out but it's not it's not in the model okay. i would speculate uh significant because i mean i know you said you took it down Two for 4.45 so. i mean the and you guys raised 1.3 so yeah, 4.45 we're gonna put in we're gonna or, put in roughly between 750 and 800 after we closed so during due diligence, we weren't able to take off shingles and see the decking. So once we took off the shingles, some of the decking is going to need to be replaced. Some of the boiler registers are in worse shape than others. So we're probably going to be somewhere between 750 and 800 on the construction. But we feel pretty good about the exit being between 6, 5, and 7, depending on where interest rates are at and where the rents come in at. We modeled rents at 1150, including rub, so all in 1150. And we think that that's on that the conservative side conservative. for a renovated one bedroom of that size. So we'll see. We feel really good about the 170 a door number and we think that rents could come in a, even a little bit higher than where we're at uh, adjusting that price upward. But it's going to be a phenomenal and it's and we're going to be in and out of this deal just because of the location and it being you know 40 units in that area where we don't hold a lot of other a lot of buildings. So we you know the nice thing is we have the optionality when we finish we could refinance the project, recap it, return a bunch of equity to the investors, and then clip you know a quarterly coupon and return to the investors, which would be really good. And or we'll have the option of being able to sell it and just getting everyone's you know getting people a multiple on their investment in a shorter time horizon. Okay. Um. So, is there any prepayment penalty with this financing here? No. Okay. No, this is a acquisition loan, which to be competitive in the acquisition loan space, you have to basically understand that your clients are going to take you out. Yeah. They specialize in this product, in this kind of business model where you're stabilizing a distressed asset. Right. Okay. They and they know you're going to sell or yeah. refi, right? right. right. The right. loan is actually only for 36 months. So there's 36 Right, is when okay. we have to, be, you know, we're either going to refinance or sell inside of 36 months. And what's your expected total from close to close? Or close, I say, actually, let me rephrase that. What's your expected time from you close on it, which was two weeks ago, right? to when it'll be, you know, fully renovated and leased up? 
So construction, we started swinging hammers the day we closed. We've, we actually have some great videos and pictures to show that we can include in the video and in, in the podcast and the show notes, but four or five months, we'll have, we'll be signing leases. So we predict by the end mm. of March and the end of March, we should be, you know, it's three different buildings and then a fourplex on there. So one of the plays is we could actually separate, do amend the lot, the lot lines and sell the fourplex off separately because it was just a home that was rezoned as a fourplex. So it is an existing, you know, fourplex or we could sell it as 40 units. And we think we could separate that and sell that at a premium because it is a four unit stabilized. And, you know, you know, we can, a buyer can use an FHA loan and Mm -hmm. they'll pay a premium for, you know, for a fourplex there. But we think that that we'll have leases going in and people moving in in April. So it's just all cosmetic. So there's no permits needed, right? We're pulling a permit for the roof, but everything else was just cosmetic. It's paint, carpet, flooring, okay. cabinets, countertops, tile in the bathroom. You know everything cosmetic, and then obviously a, a bunch of pest control and things like that. And you know there was uh, some mold in some places that we have to mediate. But so it'll be it'll be a cosmetic remodel. There's no foundation issues. There's you know nothing that required city involvement, which would slow it up. So we're able to get in and out and get people in starting in the spring. That's our goal. Hit the springtime hard, and ha- we should have a full building by July, August. Are the units uh, like fully vacant now? Or are you? We've helped. So the the, the remaining this tenants. This is tough right now. During that was the very pandemic. difficult. Yeah, absolutely. That was very. We were, had to be. Very, so we we have a motel. We have some other properties around town. The previous owner had some other properties, so we agreed to help the tenants transition to other properties. And so we brought a moving vehicle. We've been paying their deposits if they want to go live in other places. So we've been working with the tenants, and it's been really well received. I mean, the tenants understand that. I mean, a lot of tenants had some massively deferred maintenance. I mean, we have some pictures with leaking, you know, a roof that had, you know, ceilings that had been leaking for months. You know, and they had children. And people there. Were living in there. It was really, really uh. sad. Yeah. So it's definitely going to be for the better. And the tenants are going to get into a much better situation and we're going to help, you know, pay for the moving expenses for their deposits and those kind yeah. of things. And then it allows us to get in there and, and renovate more units and get and use the winter, which is a poor time to lease anyway, use the winter to get through all the capex and all the construction and be leasing in the spring, you know, when it's a prime, you know, prime leasing season. So I want to kind of go back to the financing here because, um, so on the con- on the construction loan draws, are they having to send out inspectors come check on your work? I'm assuming do you have to take draws, or can you just access line? Of yeah, it is, it is set up to? on draws, and um, admittedly, I don't have a ton of experience with draws, but this has been definitely the easiest as far as you know bandwidth. It's okay. um, because it's a smaller bank, and they're in Kansas. Basically, we just submit invoices of what we've paid and they wire the same day the same day or next day so we got our first draw mm-hmm. last friday we submitted it on thursday afternoon and the wire hit our account on friday so, so they, much different they're not sending out inspectors they're not actually walking the property thing huh well i'm the other thing is they have my personal guarantee okay so they know that we're paying you know we we guarantee the whole project but because of this broker's relationship with this bank i mean this is where this has actually been our first deal with a a mortgage broker, a commercial mortgage broker. And and I think here's the value. I think the downside was they charged almost two points. So two points mm-hmm. on the total debt, right? So that's 80 some thousand dollars that we had to pay, you know, at the closing. But what we got in exchange was a really favorable terms. 
a lot, you know, higher leverage and much more convenient construction process. I mean, it sounds like so he earned his commission on that one. He earned his commission and that was, and that was Ben and I went back and forth and I was like, dude, we got to get him down. And it was just one of those things where when you weigh the cost and, you know, like I said, the leverage, the terms and the convenience of the construction process. And he said it from the beginning, this bank, this is why you're going to pay. This is why mm-hmm. paying the premium makes sense for you is you're not going to have to wait a week to get it. You're not going to have a, a bunch of inspectors asking for a bunch of extra items. You know, when because of the speed at which we do construction, especially cosmetic construction, where we're paying our guys every week or two weeks because they're in, an, you know, they're they're they move really fast. But in exchange for that, they want to get paid every week versus a con- commercial con- you know contractor where they're maybe paying their guys once a month, you know, and that you know pulling permits and just you know when you're doing a much different scope of project those guys can get their commercial companies construction companies they can float for 30 days our guys they're our own subs you know and they're used to getting paid on a regular basis and so that kind of loan worked really favorable for for uh, for the way that we do construction now taking uh this broker out of the picture i mean this is like a, these are just amazing loan terms you got i mean what would have been the other option i mean that would have been like what a 60 50 or 60 percent yeah. yeah it would have been a like, like it would have been a cost for LTV. it would have been a hurdle and it would have been definitely a bank that has seen us perform okay. you know i don't think we would approach a new say hey we found this building even the va doesn't want to put their tenants in it it's got all this deferred maintenance <laughs> but we're going to come in and save the day and okay here's 80 percent of the value you know yeah you're not gonna get no that. no but we would have got we would have gotten it done we Definitely would have been raising the construction budget with th- from the partners. So you, you, know, you would have raised a lot more money with an overall lower. Yeah, I think a local yeah. bank, like when we did the motel, kind of in a similar condition, banks were wanting fifty or sixty percent of just the purchase price, and they didn't want to touch the construction. Wow. So it probably would have been the same thing. They, maybe we would have got sixty percent of the purchase price, and then we would have had to put in the eight hundred for the construction. Yeah. So we would have had to raise another million million bucks. So right. was it just? I mean, based off of your guys's like track record is that what helped really win this deal i think the relationship so the the our broker on the transaction side to buy the building had a relationship with this commercial debt broker okay so having a really good broker that knew the kind of project that it was that was going to help us get it done because that was one of my big things to the broker when we first looked at it, i was like dude i don't even know what kind of debt i can get on this right now just because of how much more defensive banks are you know we've shown them completely full buildings that just need some minor renovations and they've been defensive on those kind of deals and in areas where they're much more proven out you know in core denver neighborhoods like congress park or cheeseman park or city park you know neighborhoods that everyone would say oh that's a that's a core denver neighborhood no no issue raising money or getting the debt for so in this neighborhood that's a little bit less proven in terms of an apartment building i knew that it was going to be an issue and then when you see the vacancy along with the capex i mean those are three major black eyes that are going to be hard to overcome for a bank. So that was one of my, the, one of the first things I said was, I don't know who's going to finance this and how much, you know, what they're going to do. And so he, we were able to work together and, and Ben was a big part of that of, Hey, this is the kind of bank we're going to need. And, and this, and then he introduced us to this gentleman that was the, the commercial uh, debt broker. And he was, he had three or four solutions, you know, within a week. And this ended up being the best one. Yeah. My advice for, if you know, for the listeners is, when you sit down with a banker, or you pick up the phone. You want to th- you want to think right off the bat: Is the mandate from this this banker's committee board to reduce risk for the next year, or is it to expand loans and get more loans on the books? 
And if you're, you know, a property like this is not a, in the even in the realm of possibility for someone that wants to reduce risk. And so the larger banks right now with everything going on with the pandemic, so you're, you know, your Wells Fargo, Chase, even banks as big as, you know, statewide First Bank, they don't, they're not incentivized to increase risk to make mm -hmm. a couple more dollars. They want to decrease risk. So right off the bat, we knew, you know, what kind of, uh, so you can kind of, like we have just a, you know, a running uh, debt relationship tracker and we keep notes in there. And so it's pretty, it's, it's pretty intuitive. I wouldn't even call this guy because he's, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a no before we even. Just but you the have phone. the finger, you have your finger on the pulse and you know, like, you know that from the high what level. The, oh, what the, what each property's yeah. Yeah. yeah, like every, yeah, we kind of, the way we kind of, you know, word it is not, it's not that the banker usually isn't the one that can write the check and say, there you go. It's this is their committee, you know. So we're saying, hey, oh, what? they all have to go to the committee. That's right. Yeah. So we're, you know, every lunch, every coffee, it's like, what are you hearing from your, uh, you know, from the committee? What are you, what are, what are you guys looking for as far, you know, what's the bank's goals for this quarter? Da 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 da. And you'll get a real, you know, and you're, you're, you'll know right away if the asset's appropriate. And that's that. something you do. You stay in touch with all the lenders, kind of keep your finger on the pulse. Yeah, right? more and more. Yeah, yeah, I try to. Yeah, I try, we try to meet with. Um, a new lender a lot what another good question you can ask bankers is you know okay this this isn't appropriate for your bank who should i be talking to yeah and they're you know that's not it's not so competitive that they're like i'm not telling you anyone else that you know they'll say oh you call this guy he i know he's done a few multifamily loans on assets like that or da, 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 da. so usually you know like anything in networking one dead end you know, someone can at least point you off to uh, another one, yeah. But you have to ask for it. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, so... So I'm just keeping my eye on the clock, guys. We got about five or six minutes before we need to have our heart, heart stop and on to all of our next meetings. Um, I looked at the agenda. I know we jumped around quite a bit. Any things you guys want to fill in or details you want to talk about as we wrap up here? I think the big learning lesson on from my standpoint was just being really clear with communicating with the broker on every step of the way. And I think that there was multiple times during this deal that I thought we were never going to get it done and we were just going to have to terminate just because of how much work it needed and how far away we were on price. And we got a, over a $600,000 price reduction. And so the learning lesson for me was you have to you have to ask and just go through the process. You know, you may get some no's, and in most cases, it would have been a no for this particular instance because of all the all the variables, all the, all the variables that were in our favor. Yeah, it, it ended up working out, and it was just you know communicating with the broker. I mean, he wanted to get the deal done, so naturally he was he saw everything we saw, and he said, "Look, I'm going to go to bat. I'm going to fight for you." And he really believed in it and believed that this is where it needed to be at for it to make sense for anyone. Because you didn't take it down, every other person had the same issues, the same concerns. Well, for sure, and yeah. we do construction cheaper and faster in our property management. You know, just we're just we're set up to be able to execute this where most people wouldn't be. And so he knew that hey, if it doesn't work for these guys at this number, it's not going to work for almost anybody. So this is where it needs to go. And and I just think the communication and being able to spell everything out and just being very having very everything organized and laid out. Here's here's what we got back on the inspection. Here's the numbers. Here's what we're seeing on rents. We're, it's pretty unknown, so we're speculating, so we're going to be a little bit more conservative. And being able to just defend that and show every step of the way, 
to give him the ammunition to go back and say, hey, here's what we need and here's why. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, we need $900,000 off. It was like, hey, seller, the rents are a little unproven because of this. This is the area. This is what we're seeing. So we're not really sure. So here's where we see rents. Here's all the CapEx. Here are all the issues with the building. Here's the bids to get it. And here's why we need this number. You know, it wasn't just pulled out of the sky. So just being very clear with the communication, being organized on the due diligence, put us in a position to get the maximum dollars off on the inspection. And I think that's the real lesson here is that, you know, if you have clear communication and you're organized and you present the case in the right way, it gives you the best chance to get the most amount of dollars off on the inspection on these kind of deep value add projects. And actually one more question. I was looking at my notes here. We, you know, we've talked about the financing and working with the seller, but during this, you know, environment, especially as we're going in the winter, um, the news is getting more and more choppy with the election at the time, COVID right. numbers are spiking up. What was the feedback you guys got like as you started raising money from your, your LPs or potential LPs? Like, what were people saying? Like, what were your investors saying? I'm glad you brought that up. Most, most people were very scared. You know, I think yeah. just generally speaking, you know, there was like a lot of fear going on. So we only called people that knew our model had the same kind of view on the market as us. It's like when other people are scared, we need to get aggressive, you know, but be, but do it with intentionality, right? And be, and be really clear on what the business plan is and knowing that we can execute. And this is something that we've done literally hundreds of times where we've bought dilapidated properties that have been mismanaged. We've renovated them. We filled them with the right tenants and we've executed time and time again. So we knew that we could do it. So we called people that knew that we, that had that same confidence in us and same confidence in the Denver market that even if nationally the news may be negative towards being a landlord right now, they know that that's just a moment in time, that the data is there as far as like migration to Denver, job yeah. growth in Denver, wage growth in Denver, rent growth in Denver, and that even if we have a six-month or a 12-month, maybe a, it gets stagnant or there may be some bad national news in terms of evictions or anything to do with any of that, that long-term Denver is going to win. And those are the people that, those are the people that we called. So the people that we called, actually nobody, you know, everyone, you know, because we only showed it to a handful of people. So we didn't have really any, you know, I think we raised the money actually in like two weeks. So, so it wasn't, wasn't there was wasn't it harder, the same, less? No, I, it wasn't. You got to yeah. think also, you know, if someone says to me, I'm not opening your email, I'm not reading the memo, just tell me what, tell me. How are you going to make me money? On this deal, the answer is we're going to get in on a really low basis. We're going to execute on construction, and we're going to dispose of the building $60,000 higher per door than we bought it. Nowhere in there did I say people are they're going to pay their rent. We're going to manage it better than the last person managed. We're going to keep uh, vacancy limited. You know, we're going to – we have great insurance relationships. There's none of that. It's just construction. You know, we're going to execute on construction and we're buying at a really low basis and we're going to sell it. And so that eliminates a lot of the fear as far as like, hey, I heard uh, rent payments are down or eviction moratoriums or... So you got to just kind of... And it it actually, you know, we didn't say, hey, let's make our next deal a a big construction play, you know, because of the virus. It kind of just worked out that way. But... um. Yeah, I mean, really, if I'm an investor, it's not, um, there's not a lot of this business plan that I need to know that people are going to pay high rents on time and, you know, 
fully for years and years for me to get my money back. That's not in the model at all. Yeah. You know, we're going to set the conditions so that that happens, deliver a good product, get place a good tenants, but you know, the value will be added by construction execution. Okay. Yeah. And we were prepared, you know, when we went hard on earnest money, we went hard on 150,000 non-refundable. And so I was, we were fully prepared to close the whole thing with our own capital if we needed to, you know, and that's how much we believed in it. So I think one of the lessons is, you know, if, if you have your own skin in the game and other people see that and they know that, I think it creates a little bit more confidence from the investors. Like, oh, well, he's, he's oh, already not refundable. He's putting his own money in Then I'm willing to. And so that was the truth is that, you know, Ben and I, I was, we had had some other closings and we were pretty liquid at the time. And I just said, Hey, if no one else wants to do this deal, we'll, we'll fund it ourselves. I'll write the whole check because I just know that this is going to, you know, I just, I've seen it. I've been there before. Now there definitely can be things go wrong. We can get inside the walls and there can be more issues and construction go up, but the core fundamentals are there in terms of like where we bought it at. We're going to add the value. We're going to fill it with the right tenants. We're going to manage it. And we have the optionality. Either we can sell it if the market's still good and debt's still cheap and cap rates are still being compressed, or we can refinance and hold and, and collect a really good monthly and quarterly cash flow dividend if that's if that's the route we we need to go. So you have options and you have just margins and where you bought it from. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we need to wrap up here. Um, so Terrence, Ben, thank you guys. One last thing. You know, every time we do these podcasts, I think this is number four or five, I get more people reaching out and asking questions, things like this. Like, what can people reach out to you guys for questions for like what can people reach out to you for? Because I get that a lot. Yeah. We enjoy, you know, adding value to other people. That's the name of our company. That's what we really enjoy. You know, that brings us a lot of fulfillment. So if someone out there and they're looking at apartment buildings and they have some questions, you know, they're definitely happy to get on the phone and chat with them. You know, if people are looking for diversification and maybe they're in single family or maybe they're in industrial and they're looking to get into something that is more stable or they're looking to get into uh, being a more passive investor, you know, we're we're looking for really strong LPs that can be in you know a, a number of our of our deals and that really believe in Denver and and believe in multifamily. All right, all right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And website contact details will be in the show notes. Yeah, we actually have a new website coming soon. That's right. That we've been working hard on, so we're excited to release that. All right, it's gonna Looking be awesome. Forward to seeing it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having guys. Us, Chris. All right.